Please stand for the reading of today's Old Testament lesson from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 28 through 31 from the Common English Bible. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding is beyond human reach giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. Youths will become tired and weary. Young men will certainly stumble, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Well, it's a blessing to get to be with each of you this morning. Hank, thank you for reading our scripture this morning. You're pulling double duty, being acolyte and reading. We appreciate that. I know uh, we are so... I can't tell you what a blessing it is to be able to serve in a place that values so highly the faith development of our children. And so I I continue to look forward to July uh, where we get to have our children's moments. I'm so appreciative of Ellen Garrett and our children's ministry staff uh, for the work that they do to to make sure that our children know they are not only vital here at BUMC, but they are vital in God's kingdom. And so we are are so uh, pleased to be able to do that throughout this month and throughout the year as well. So Dr. Chapel has begun his time away for Sabbath and study, and so I'm getting to kick off our new series, Rest for the Stressed, a series in which we will take a look at some passages, likely familiar passages, that provide us with a word of renewal, rest, and hope. I know that many times in the summer months, this is our time to be able to go and seek rest and renewal from the seasons of life that wear us down. And so I do indeed hope that each of you are finding that time at some point this summer. I know I've mentioned this to some of you, but not likely all have heard that Carlisle and I are anticipating a new arrival next month. So I know that resting now is important. I heard earlier this week on Tuesday morning, Jane Bradley, my three-year-old, sprint across the house to declare, mommy has to work late tonight, but then soon the baby is going to be here and she just gets to stay at home and rest and play with me. (laughs) I don't think fully she understands what is about to happen to her world, but we all need a moment for some rest and renewal at time. It can be so easy for us to be to become settled more so into our stress than our need for rest. Recently, Jonathan Anderson, one of our pastors, sent me a study done by the Barna Group. The study was titled, The State of Nashville. The Barna Group, of course, for years has been providing spiritual leaders with information, with, with studies that help us navigate the changing culture of the times. Always they help provide uh, important insights to the people that we are serving. The study was filled with incredible, uh, interesting statistics and survey findings of the people in our area that would identify both as churchgoers and those who do not go to church. They told us about some of the issues that they wish the church would address and some of the, the things that they wish we would prioritize, some of the things that they would say they would call their church home, and some of the perceptions they would have if they didn't go to a church. 
But one stat jumped out to me. About halfway through the half hour presentation, they were talking about understanding the needs of the area and they revealed that 68% of adults admitted that they regularly feel anxious. In comparison, the national average is 55%. 77% said that they regularly feel stressed with the national average at just 68%. We are a stressed people, and we are indeed in need of a rest from our stress. It does not always feel like it is in our DNA to do so. So over the next several weeks, we will take some time to look at passages that show us while it might feel foreign to us, it is not just a suggestion for the seventh day. It is meant to be hardwired into who we are by our Creator, who didn't just suggest it, He modeled it and embodied it. And we are indeed expected to seek rest in the reality of our loving Creator. So this week, at the start, we find ourselves in Isaiah 40, which most scholars will tell you is the beginning of second Isaiah. It's commonly believed that the book as a whole can be broken down into several different sections or writings. It, of course, has been written about in great length. There are many factors that you can consider, time frames, exact authors, cultural ongoings, activities of other nations and empires, and much, much more. However, when I am reading prophetic scripture like this one, I always have one commentary from Eugene Peterson ringing in my head. I shared it on this past Ash Wednesday when we were reading from Joel, and it's worth sharing again today as we dive into this passage. Eugene says this, the prophets worked to get people who were beaten down to open themselves up to hope in God's future. In the wreckage of exile and death and humiliation and sin, the prophet ignited hope, opening lives to the new work of salvation that God is about at all times and everywhere. Regardless of how scholars might approach dividing the book, the central truth that I, the Israelites are holding on to is hope. They are a people in need of hope, and so are we today. The Israelites, we know, are in the midst of exile, finding themselves surrounded by what must feel like destruction, chaos, despair, and truly loneliness. We read this in Psalm 137 about the time frame. Alongside Babylon's rivers, we sat on the banks, we cried and cried remembering the good old days in Zion. The Israelites sit stressed and crying for days that have long passed as they reside in persecution with people who wholly want to break them down. I remember one day early on in ministry, a ministry colleague and mentor called me. I had been having a hard time. He called me and said, Adam, I've come to realize that success is really just getting up one more time than you get knocked down. You've got this. It meant the world to me then and still does today. The Israelites have been knocked down again and again and again, and they are highly considering just not getting back up. They might just call it quits. And so the prophet speaks these words into existence to the downtrodden nation. The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth, he doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding is beyond human reach, giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. 
The Lord is the everlasting God who is the creator of the ends of the earth, regardless of how tired you feel or the burdens you hold on and the failures you feel you have claimed. Your Lord, your God, is in charge of each and every end of the earth. And while you might feel tired and down and stressed, he does not. In fact, your God has been known to give power to those who are tired and revive those who are exhausted. God is not interested in letting those who have been knocked down stay down. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will lift up his people. But this week I kept asking myself the same question. Why did they need to hear these words? Why was it that they seemed that they had to hear these words again? Surely by now they knew this about their God. Surely they knew that their God had created everything and he of anyone does not grow tired or weary. They knew that God could revive them in the midst of their exhaustion, that their strength and their God would be renewed, that they could run and not be tired. I've noticed something in three short years as a father. Sometimes saying something the first time doesn't really cut it. And in the same vein, answering the same question does not necessarily count the first time, or maybe even the second time, or maybe even the third time. Repetition counts for something. The nation of Israel and we today need to be reminded of the presence of the creator of the universe in our very lives and the presence of this space right now. The passage opens with this reminder. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. Haven't you been listening? God lasts. This week I started thinking of it as God outlasts. You've heard this saying, it's not that you have to be able to outswim a shark, just be able to outswim the person closest to you. I don't know how true that is, but I know it's not the kind of lasting the writer is talking about here. That's not the kind of God that we serve. God is not just looking to outlast the one situation to make it out alive. He is a God that outlasts our struggles and our doubts. God outlasts our questions and our lack of faith. God outlasts our bent nature towards sin and rises above it, calling us to live into the resurrection as well. God lasts. He does not come and go, but dwells among us, calling us to live out the hope of resurrection in our daily lives, because as we do, the kingdom grows. These Israelites have become so stressed in their situation in the midst of trauma, of exile, that their memory begins to fade, and so does their faith. They've begun forgetting the lasting nature of our God. Now, none of us this morning could resonate with that, In the midst of stress, we would never forget the very power of declaring who it is that is Lord of our life, of naming that resting in our Savior gives us fresh strength. Of course, I'm not saying that any tragedy or diagnosis was prompted by a lack of faith. That simply is not how our theology works. However, I do think that in moments of crisis, we easily slip into what William Carl calls theological amnesia the tendency to forget the awesome power and presence of God, of knowing who Jesus Christ was and is and will be forever, 
and it can cause us to fall apart in moments of crisis. The Israelites have been faced with an endlessly hard situation, and in the midst of that, their memory begins to fail them, and when the memory fails, the faith is threatened. When we begin to forget about the power of resurrecting love in our lives, we put, begin to put our faith in the fleeting things of this world and that cannot and will not restore us the way that our God can. In July of 2012, John 1.5 became my morning rally cry shortly after losing my mother. So much so that a few years back, Carlisle commissioned a dear friend to have the verse scripted in a print and hung in our living room. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot and shall not overcome it. I needed it in that season and on this very morning to remind me that the love and grace of Jesus cannot be outmatched. There is no height nor depth nor end of the earth that our God has not gone to in order to make sure that we are loved and covered in amazing grace. But we are human, and we do in moments forget Our memories of encounters with the living God fade into the background as we focus more on the stresses of this world. You can likely imagine that at times I get theological questions, some sending me to a library of books searching for answers, but the one I get the most, I just search my heart and memory for. Adam, how do you know? How do you know it's all real? For me, I always have the same answer. I can't prove it for you, but for me, there was a night when I was 15 at a small retreat in West Tennessee, and I knew without a doubt in my mind that the living God was with me and loved me, and it changed me. And in the moments of greatest doubts and struggles, I can close my eyes and be back in that moment. When the memory begins to fail, our faith is threatened and the Israelites must remember. The passage continues. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. The writer reminds the people of the renewal that happens when they seek resting in the arms of their creator. Those whose hope rests in the Lord feel never ceasing support. It's reminding us of a strength that can only come when we rest. It's reminding a nation that has been beaten down that they are indeed God's beloved and chosen people and that while they are feeling like they are at their end now, they must remember the fortitude that they are provided in their Father. It's a reminder for a people that they are not alone and that in a relationship with God, they are not weak or weary, they are home. They are called not just to taking a break, but intentionally resting in the arms of our God. In the midst of the sorrow and pain and worry, they are empowered by the reality of the presence of their God, and so are we today. Friends, I don't know what has you feeling as though you are in exile today. I don't know what might have you stressed. I don't know what crisis you might be feeling that has brought you to theological amnesia, but let me be the first person to tell you today, you are beloved of the God most high. God won't just come and go, God lasts in the moments you feel the weakest. 
He intends to walk every step with you and his strength will become your strength even when you are weak. The kingdom received a great Baptist nearly two weeks ago. I never got to meet him, but we all know his daughter. Russell Dilday, the father of our own Ellen Garrett, went to be home on June 21st. Russell, I learned, had many accomplishments and accolades over his years of ministry, but this week I was told that I had to go and listen to his sermon that opened the 1984 Baptist Convention. I took the time one morning this week to step back in time and listen to the man in love with his Lord and in love with his denomination. He called them to higher ground. It was so timely then and honestly now too. I told Ellen Garrett that I had to re- keep reminding myself that it was, not, that it was 1984 and not today. Ultimately, that sermon led to a 10-year process of leadership trying to remove him as the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. It seemed to me that when he stepped up to that podium, he knew that it was likely the beginning of his end as the president. He challenged the denomination to put aside denominational politics and power struggles in an effort to reach for higher grounds and standards, seeking first the kingdom of God. I asked Ellen if she thought he knew what would happen and if he was scared to do it anyways. She said, I really, I think he was just so sad to see what was happening to his beloved denomination. He was devastated, but he was so confident in God's ability to call them to higher ground. Ellen told me that as he walked off the stage, he handed her his Bible. She noticed in it a letter that had already been given to him, warning him of his future in the denomination. Undaunted, he continued on. In the midst of struggle, he had to speak of the hope that he had in the Lord our God. Hope for a flourishing kingdom here on earth. Friends, we will each grow weary and tired and certainly have moments of stress. We will walk through moments we feel certain are too hard for us to ever rise above, but in the midst of all that, we are called to remember that God laughs and resides with us and remember with confidence God's ability to provide us with strength for one more step. In just a moment, we will come to the table and you will hear Jim and I remind each of us that on a night long ago, Jesus sat down with his best friends and said, I want you to know something. I want you to know that I love you so very much that very soon I am going to let my body be broken for you. And I'm going to let my blood be spilled out for you because of the deep, deep love that I have for you. And then he will tell them, Please remember, please remember my deep love for you, that my hope, that my love, that my grace, it lasts. And with me, so shall you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.